Welcome to the Digestible Dynamics Podcast, a podcast for the innovators from the experts. We know that you're busier than ever, and the last thing you need as a business applications innovator is a lengthy, drawn-out podcast where you walk away with the possibility of learning something new. Well, that's how the Digestible Dynamics Podcast is different. Each episode will contain one digestible tidbit about Dynamics 365 that you can immediately apply to your business. With the combined experience of three decades in the business application space, Dr. KJ and I understand that the power of technology is not about the features and functions, but rather the value it can bring to your business to help you transform and drive growth. That's why we'll focus on the most useful things that you need to know about the Dynamics 365 platform. Welcome, everyone, to the Digestible Dynamics Podcast, your number one source for snackable tidbits that help you optimize your Dynamics 365 experience. KJ, I don't know about you, but ever since Microsoft announced the massive investment into OpenAI, almost every customer conversation I've had involves things like OpenAI and ChatGPT. Yeah, Kevin, you know, that's definitely the same for me. You know, it's really like my customers can't get enough information about it. And sometimes I think they're more excited about the technology than we are. So I continue to give them what they want. I love to hear that. We can't be the only ones to nerd out on this technology. There's so many potential benefits for things like ChatGPT. Definitely, especially all of the co-pilot features. It's basically a personal technical assistant. You know, that's a really great way of simplifying Copilot. I think I'm going to steal that analogy. Was that an original thought or did you read that somewhere? Don't steal from me. Uh, <laughs> but if you do, use a little chat GPT to change it around a little bit. But it's definitely a Dr. KJ original. Shame on me. Speaking of PhDs and doctorates, uh, between you and our guest for this week's episode, I feel like I need to go get my PhD now. You're missing out, man. I want to call you doctor, so I'd recommend it. Now, are you saying you're going to pay for it? No. <laughs> this economy <laughs> is not allowing me to pay for it, but <laughs> it may be in a different life. <laughs> but I definitely digress, Kevin. You know, can you please introduce this week's rock star guest? Certainly, man. Digestible Dynamics, before I introduce you to Dr. Walter Sun, note that this is a longer episode than you're used to, but that's because we wanted to dive deeper into AI. And that is why we're giving Dr. Walter Sun that much more runway, if you will, to talk about AI. So let me introduce you all to Dr. Walter Sun. Dr. Walter Sun is the Vice President of Copilot AI Business Applications and Platform Group at Microsoft. He leads a team of engineers and scientists who are developing innovative AI solutions for various business domains. He has a bachelor's degree from Georgia Tech and a master's of science and PhD in electrical engineering. He has over 20 years of experience in the tech industry working as a quant at BlackRock Financial Management, a senior codec engineer slash scientist at Apple Computer, and a staff DSP engineer at TwoWire before joining Microsoft in 2003. At Microsoft, he worked on Windows Codecs, Bing Multimedia Search, Web Search, Web Ranking, and Bing Predicts, which he started and led for several years. He also worked on Market Insights and Applied AI in the Business Applications Group. He is an avid sports fan and enjoys applying sports analytics to predict outcomes and trends. He's an advisory board member at Georgia Tech and has been an adjunct faculty at Seattle University and is an affiliate faculty at University of Washington. Welcome, everyone, to the Digestible Dynamics Podcast. Today's episode is with Dr. Walter Sun. He is the Vice President of Copilot AI, Business Applications, and Platform Group here at Microsoft. Dr. Walter Sun, appreciate you joining the show. 
Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talking to you. Likewise. So we're just going to dive right into this first question is, can you help our listeners understand what large language models are and how are they valuable to us? Yeah, sure, KJ. So large language models are massively scaled transformer models trained on a very large corpus of text data. Um, Transformers are multi-layer artificial neural networks, which are built to simulate uh, information processing in a biological brain. So basically, these models seek to emulate the language understanding processes of one's brain. Um, Since the brain is very sophisticated, we've only gotten very close to grid generative AI recently with these large models like uh, GPT-3, as that has had 175 billion parameters learned based on trillions of data points. So in effect, models of that size get us close to our human brain's neural network. And so to put that size, 175 billion parameters into perspective, you know, when we were in school and learning how to compute best fit lines, I don't know if you remember that, we, you know, we needed to compute the slope and intercept. So you got this mm-hmm. y equal mx plus b, which basically was two parameters, m for the slope and b for the, for the y-intercept. And you can sort of think now we went from two parameters there to 175 billion parameters. So, you know, very, very, very complicated models. Um, as far as why they're valuable, valuable to us, uh, large language models do quite a good job with generating content and answering questions about public information, which the trained model has learned from the web. So as a result, they can be deployed for many, many different types of applications. Love that. Absolutely love that. Dr. Sun, quick question for you. When we think about AI, Mm -hmm. you mentioned it, you mentioned the brain a couple of times. Is AI meant to replicate the human brain? It's meant to simulate. I think that's probably the best way because I know people get worried about like it becoming human. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we're anywhere near there, to be honest. I think we're basically at a point where it it learns to copy or, or, or replicate, right? And so it's almost like vote memorization in some ways, uh, in, in, a, in a good way, though. I mean, in terms of it, it knows the entire Internet. If, if you had a, a trusted friend that knew the whole Internet, he or she would be very helpful kind of in arguments about sports, about politics, anything. They know everything. <laughs> so they're very knowledgeable. But the, the goal is to, to simulate. And so the neural networks, the artificial neural networks, which are built um, uh, in machine learning, are definitely intended to, to simulate what the human brain can do. So, you know, simulating what the human brain can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously sometimes humans get it wrong. So right. Right. where where is generative AI and how are we combating that? How can we get it right all the time, especially in, you know, different examples as we start to work with other companies? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think the 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 difficulty is that you want to minimize the error rate as much as possible. I think it's Today, at least, it's impossible to say that you know a generative AI will be 100% correct all the time. And, and I know that makes some people uncomfortable. I think um, for the initial applications that we're dealing with in business applications, we have humans in the loop. So like if, let's yeah. say, we provide assistance to, for Q&A for a, uh, let's say, customer service agent, we also have an agent who double checks the work. So both in terms of appropriateness or response, sometimes you know, as, as machines learn, they might not know what the right way to address a person is or, or, or do something the proper way in terms of, let's say, you're speaking to a customer from a different country. Some countries have certain customs and, and it might be like lost on the, the response. But also factuality, you know, uh, fact checking, if you will, in terms of looking at, you know, you get you ask for five things. How do I reboot my box? How do I, you know, create network address translation? How, how do I get an IP address for it? All these different things. How do we make sure that 
all of that is factual. I think that um, at the beginning, you know, looking to make sure that you have a human in a loop that is assisted, basically, instead of me looking up five or six manuals to get those five answers, I get this response from generative AI that says, here are the five answers we, you're looking for, I think. And then you as an subject matter expert, as, a, as an agent, can just say, oh yeah, these are all correct, or four out of five are correct, this fifth one, yeah, I think they got the wrong IP address because we're in a special market or it's the, you know internal IP address, and so that so that person can fix that one error, and that way, you know, ninety percent of the work is saved, and the error rate doesn't get worse because the human is still double checking. Yeah, so you need human intervention regardless. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's that's correct. I think for for the first releases, I think a lot of the work we're doing in Copilot is human in a loop. We want to make sure that there's a human that just makes sure. Um, there's a lot of people. It's it's a very new technology. People are a little bit um, you know, wanting to know what what was possible. So having a human in a loop to start things is always a good way to get get, get um, confidence and trust in terms of what these models can do. Love that. Now, Walter, when we think about. Uh transitioning into business applications. Yeah. How do you use large language models in biz apps and why should a Dynamics 365 customer even care about it? Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks, Kevin. I think um, generative pre-trained transformers, which is what we, you know, uh, known as GPT, are used by us in Dynamics 365 to build solutions in four main categories. We have content generation, we have summarization, we have code generation and, and question and answer. And, and it's interesting to our customers because uh, we can automate or simplify many of these, these business tasks and uh, handling mundane situations like post-call summarization. We found that in the customer service agent case, they spend a lot of time, I mean, non-trivial, maybe 20 to 30% of time doing post-call summaries. And so you know, when they would like to prefer talking to people and, and working on the problems versus you know, summarizing. And so that helps and it, it pr provides added benefit to both the, cust the customer service agent as well as the customer, right? If you can imagine if my the agents are spending 25% time, less time right, doing mundane tasks, they're shortening the wait times you have on the, on the calls when you're waiting for them. So I think that's a win-win for everybody. I think looking at other scenarios like generating content-specific content emails for sales leads, uh, you know, improving coverage of bots and answering questions. Um, all these things um, are, are different scenarios that allow our customers to, to do more uh, and um, be more efficient. We also have the feature in the Power Platform of natural language to create cloud flows or Power Apps. And again, another way that's helping our makers go from low-code production to no-code. So basically, it democratizes the ability to create content without needing to know how to write any code at all. I love that. So when we think about the power of those large language models, it sounds like it's all about efficiency. It's all about making the lives of the end users easier, but then also improves overall customer experience. Is that correct? That, that's right. I think it, you know you, you make the lives of the our, our customers, which are usually businesses, um, better. Uh, agents have a, have a better situation. Salespeople make it ever easier. I think sometimes in some businesses, like I say, auto auto sales, you know, you may have like thousands of potential leads. You know, every day people come in, they email you, everyone contacts you. How do you find the best leads? So we have, you know, tools that do that. But on top of that, how do we actually let you contact all of them? Because it, each of us, you know, it takes us time to write an email. If it takes me, uh, each of us, 10 minutes to write an email, we can only reach out to so many customers a day. If you can actually write context-specific emails in bulk, it, it both allows you to increase your bandwidth and also increases it in a good way. Because I know all of us get spam email all the time right and so you know today's salespeople might spam you with like a very generic email maybe the three of us have different preferences in cars 
and but then look at the same email from the same dealership, right? And it's like, oh, all three of us, it might miss the boat for all three of us versus like, or hit one or one of three, which is still not great. But um, you know, these uh, generative models can create look up information from the CRM and say, okay, you know, KJ is looking for an SUV, Kevin's looking for a sedan, um, you know, and one person, you know, one of you is looking for a hybrid, one of you is looking for electric vehicle or whatever. And that, and that way, that the email that gets sent to you is very, very specific to what you're looking for. And then there's no like, uh, this is not really meant for me, or it's obvious this is a form mail. I don't know. I don't think right. we as, over the years, you know, I'm sure you two feel the same way as like, you get so many emails. We know when the email is a, a sales email, right? And so, yeah. If you make it look like less, if it make, it feels more personal, I think it's better, right? You know, like if, if you think, Kevin, if you and KJ think I sent you an email, you'll probably read it. If you know my, I created a form mail and sent it to you, you probably just delete it, right? And that's kind of the yeah. thinking yeah. behind that. Yeah, that's a very good point. I know there's a running joke within, at least internally when I speak to my colleagues that, especially on the sales side, that the bots are just going to eventually just be talking to each other, right? So like an email generated by a bot that's going to be received by a bot. Yeah. I mean, I feel, are we far off from that? I know that's kind of digression, but I just get love no, your thought on it. I, I, that's funny, Kevin. I, I, was, I was telling somebody that this about a month or two ago, and then someone showed me, a, someone wrote a cartoon, a comic, which said the same thing. Basically, it's like, you know, you, you encode, if you will. So like, if I, let's say I want to meet with you today at, at noon. In the old days, when their bandwidth was valuable, on I say the old, old text-based emails, or whatever you know, it's purely text. It'd be like I'd be like Kevin KJ, eleven o'clock or noon lunch, and that would be it, right? And then you would respond yes or no, and that would be like can we save bandwidth, you know? But now it's like bandwidth is cheap. People are like, hey Kevin, hey KJ, how was your how's your weekend? How are things going? And there's just like five paragraphs, and the end's like, hey, do you want to get together for lunch? And then then GPT would do that for you, right? So the problem is then. On the other side, when you receive this email, you don't want to read all my other other flowery talk because it's you assume it's not written by me, right? So then you say, GPT, please decode everything Walter's saying. I don't want to read all his, all his nonsense. And then it, it decodes it to two lines. Kevin KJ, lunch, noon. And it's like you realize that it's kind of sad because I think we're actually reverting back to uh, to uh, the old days. The only difference is we have an assistant in the middle creating right. content. You're using a bandwidth on the internet and then you're decoding the same content. But, yeah. but that's kind of, yeah, kind of a joke. I mean, I think seriously, I think it's supposed to add value, but you're right. You're right. Eventually, you'll have basically assistance on both ends, parsing and encoding, decoding. That's, that's going to be interesting to see how that, that plays yeah. out. I'm all about summarization. So give me anything, yeah. summarization all day. No. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you, I want to go back to your title. And what is Copilot and, you uh, know, for Dynamics 365? Yeah, great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, so we've been building this this product project called Copilot for for over a year now, and we just released it in March. So we're really excited to announce it publicly now that you know D- Dynamics three sixty five Copilot, you know, provides a suite of artificial intelligence based capabilities across many business functions, including sales, service, marketing, and supply chain. It brings natural language processing to Dynamics three sixty five leveraging the large language models we've been, been talking about today. Um, so for in, instance, in Viva Sales, you know, I gave the sales example. With the user's permission, we can pull information from the Microsoft Graph along with a customer relationship management system, you know, people call that CRM, to produce a very context-specific email for their recipient. So I'll give you a, a tangible example. If you ask GPT, you know, tell me about cars, they'll probably say, hey, you know, cars have four wheels, cars have you know, a driver and a f- driver's steering wheel. But if instead you give a context of, hey, I am a salesperson. I'm trying to sell Kevin a sedan and KJ an SUV. Tell me about these specific cars. I'm going to sell them. 
the, the, the mail will become very, I mean, like the response will be very different. I'll be like more like, hey, you know, the SUVs are the best selling cars in America now, uh, best selling vehicles in America now. And, um, you know, we, we this, whatever company is, have these four particular models and we just have a new, a new shipment of 2023s. And so the, the response becomes much more specific. And so that's why we wanted to tell people that the, the, our ability to combine uh, generative models with the, the context of, of, the, of the data you have in our Dynamics ecosystem you know, provides a much more context-specific, more, more accurate response. Um, and then so then we also launched Copilot and Power Apps and Power Automate and Power Virtual Agents. Um, we announced also that in, in March. And that democratizes development along for no-code solutions, you know, using only natural language. And so we have a feature in Power Automate we call it Describe It to Design It. And you can say, I can say, whenever I get an email from our CEO, Sati, our CEO, create a Teams chat with me and KJ and Kevin. Please summarize what he puts he put in the email so the three of us can discuss this automatically. Once I, I speak that or, or type that, that requested flow in, Power Automate Cloudflow creates that flow and then it can apply to any future emails I get from Satya. So instead of requiring a maker to know how to create this flow manually, the natural language automatically creates the flow. And that's the, the power co-pilot capability now. So that is mind-blowing. Um, and that would be very, very helpful. <laughs> I will be definitely uh, looking at that feature a little bit uh, more closely um, okay, or building great. it out myself so I can so I can use it. But I do want to understand, like, how, how can a developer use Copilot with inside their organization to help, you know, their, their customers streamline or their team streamline for their customers? Right, right. Good question. So I think yeah, there's, there's two things. One is, you know, there is GitHub Copilot, which Microsoft's offered as well. And that's mm -hmm. one of our partner teams where you can actually, um, it helps you write code. You know, it takes billions of billions of lines of codes trained on a, a specifically generated model, generative model, and it, and it helps you. The Copilot for Dynamics and, and Power, for instance, you know, what it helps is that instead of no, needing to know specific, the main specific languages, whether it be, you know, as I mentioned, a cloud cloud flows or understanding how to use power apps and the interface you can just communicate with it like you would each like us the three of us talking right now i mean just like chatting with and say hey can you do this uh, the apps creation is kind of neat because you say look i want to create a, a pizza shop app and then you get a template comes up you know like, well i don't really like the oh, well, i'm actually going to do a lot of um you know, online ordering. So can you put a menu online, menu tab? Can you put a, you know, online ordering tab? And then it creates a tab. And he said, I don't like the color. Can you change this? And so basically, you literally can go back and forth with this cap co-pilot capability like it's talking, like you're talking to another person. And so the goal is to, to do that so that you have to do as little um, either code yourself or, or reaching out to your expert and your in-house expert to, to do that. So that's kind of how, how we try to make this, make this work. So when we think about Copilot, it sounds like there's that next level of specificity with regards to context. I like that you, you brought up a car. Hey, chat GPT, tell me about a car. It will tell you and describe a car. But knowing that it's now framed in the context of a sales conversation, it's Correct. not only looking at it from a sales lens, but it's pulling in the data from Dynamics 365. What do we know about KJ? And yes. what type of car does, has right. he talked about in the past? So it's exactly. taking all of that based off of his profile and creating a more specified email? Yes, that's right, Kevin. It's, it's really the whole idea of like wow. each of these scenarios, you want to bring in the context. I mean, like it's almost like, you know, the human brain has knowledge about, as you example, we're talking about the cars that we know, like, let's say if I talk to KJ about SUVs, 
over the course of weeks. He comes by to test drives. I know all this information. So when I talk to him, he calls me up. I can, can talk about it. Whereas if you give a machine and say, hey, just reach out to KJ, it becomes very generic. But if, it, if the machine had the same knowledge you did, you know, knowledge in terms of you can look up the knowledge at least, you know, and you can say, oh, okay. Yeah, the input's the same. Then you can actually provide something much more context specific. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I think earlier KJ was asking about, like, how do we make sure we're not making errors? Beyond just not making errors, we also talk about making the, giving the right thing, providing the right context, as you asked, Kevin. Like, how do we give you the right information? It might be factual. I can tell you about cars and four wheels, but that's right. meaningless to all of us. Right? I mean, so then how do I apply or leverage all of the information in the Dynamics ecosystem that you have or in the Dataverse what customers put into, into our ecosystem to, to um, provide the, the most context-specific and most pointed uh, output, you know, most, most targeted output that you want? Okay. No, I, I just want to understand. So mm -hmm. you keep going back and saying it's the input that we put. Yes. So are you saying these large language models, Copilot, all these products <laughs> and things that we're doing here at Microsoft, are we saying that GPT being at the, the back end of it is like a point in time system where you can continue to evolve it and it, it continues to... Uh, evolve w with us as we as we grow as a company yeah you're, you're right i think the idea is that gpt the models are trained at, at points in time and they update them periodically so you have information but the way I, the analogy i think about also is like a library imagine gpt is like your city library they have hundred thousand books right and so if you walk in and say i want to know about something let's say you want to know about apple it's like well if you if you walk in and type and look around for for a book and say where are Apple, books about apples, you can go into different directions. You can go toward the, the company, uh, the software company. You can go toward fruit, and so you know without giving any context, right? Let's say I, if I'm walking, I'm a Eastern Washington agricultural farmer. Let's say you have that context on me, then you kind of know where I'm looking for, right? And maybe if I'm the if you're the, the um, reference desk, you'll say, Walter, you're you're a farmer. You probably want to go over to, to the section about like apple picking, apple growing, and so. The, the whole idea of context, I think about it is like, it know, as I mentioned, GPT knows the everything that's public, right? the public web, if you will, and, and more. And so if you think about like, how do you make it work? It's, you need to give instructions. It's almost like I tell people like talking to it's like talking to a child because they're learning, they know a lot of stuff, but sometimes they don't know what you want. So I can give an analogy saying, hey, let's say I have a three-year-old I'm speaking to. I say, look, it's sunny today. Which is which is rare in Seattle, right? And it, <laughs> it's, it's it's a winter and it's sunny and um, it's not going to rain. And if I pause there, the child will look at me and say, "So what?" Right? But if I add one more sentence, I say, "Would you like to go outside and play?" Uh, I'm more likely to get a response from the child of yes, or or if, they, if they're not outside people, they might say no. But uh, the point, I guess, is that you know, if I don't add that third sentence, the child might not say, "Can I go outside and play?" Because I might say, oh, you want me to go water, do, do yard work? You want me to go, you know, who knows what you want me to do? I guess maybe not a three-year-old, but as a teenager. <laughs> but um, I, I think the, the point is that, that context, you know, giving, giving the machine more instructions is not unlike talking to, you know, an innocent child or a person that just kind of wants to know, hey, I have knowledge. What should I do with that knowledge? And so the reason I, I mentioned all this input is it's really important much the same way it's important for us to tell each other, like, you know, we have a, a, a meetings, we also put agendas in it, right? Why are we meeting? Right. I, and once you tell me the meeting, I'm like, okay, I need to prepare for this or that. And at the same way here, it's like, you know, GPT, if you just say, hey, here's five pieces of information, GPT's like, thanks very much. What do you want me to do with that, right? Versus like, 
based on these five pieces of information, can you summarize this? Or can you tell me if you'd like to go outside and play? Or can you tell me if it's safe to be outside or do it? And so that, that input, that context, it's called prompting, right? It really, really goes a long way, right? It's like basically um, an instruction set to this, this uh, super machine, if you will, this um, foundational model now. Totally makes it best back to that level of uh, human intervention that makes AI better and makes us better as a whole. It sounds like a partnership makes everybody better. That's right, Kevin. I think that also to your first question earlier, when your question is earlier about like you know, is it going to replace people? I think we still need people to provide the inputs, right? So you know, right. you're not going to have a machine provide the input for you, you know, in any in the near time period. Well, that's comforting to know. Now, and can you please share a, a customer success story around generative AI and Dynamics 365? Sure. I, and um, you know, with Power Virtual Agents, we have a feature called Boost Conversations. And it's basically a way to help customers, our, our business customers, increase deflection, which is a customer service parlance for the rate of solving support requests without human agents. And through this feature, they can both save money and also help end users experience lower wait times. And so as I mentioned earlier how you might think, oh, well, we're helping the businesses, you know, customer service agents spend less time. But Given the same number of agents, you know, with less time spent on 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 a, a call summary or just handling issues, they can talk to more people. And you know, during the pandemic, there are certain businesses like airlines which had like hours and hours of wait times. You can think about like if you reduce a uh, service agent's call from ten minutes to five minutes, you know, that's, that would be dramatic. Even to eight minutes, you actually can have so much more throughput that these three or four hour wait times become like fifteen minute wait times, maybe even less. So I think that that's kind of the success story where you hey. Some of our customers use this, and, and they and they find that you can get get so many savings. And we actually have been looking at tangibly and hand to hand with um, our Azure search, sorry Azure support team. And so the idea is that we can um, configure information through Azure Search. Um, let's say a man, like let's say the manuals or knowledge bases of Microsoft, and have them um, accessible to the to the customer. And so whenever someone calls Microsoft's customer service support, they use our features and they can, we can see them, see the benefits or we can measure the, the advantages, the gains in time. And, and, and by doing so, we can see that they get more automated responses. And then um, when they actually have a human in the loop, they can also get assistance. And so they've been onboarding it to, to try to reduce costs and, and, and time to, to service for customer service. Fantastic. So it's not just us talking about the power of it. There are successes out there that we can definitely reference. Now, we talked a lot about AI and large language models from the context of business, but I know you've written an article about March Madness. I'd love to kind of gather your your insight into kind of outside business use cases for generative AI and large language models. Yeah, sure, sure. So I think one of the things that makes it easier for people to understand these models is to look at cases that everyone is familiar with, right? And so I know ChatGPT did a great job, you know, when they actually made it usable, we can just ask anything. And that was really helpful. And I think for us, for business applications, we also look at ways to apply the same AI to, to interesting things like sports. And so you know, we, we use the AI models to, to predict the winners in March Madness. And so um, last year, this is 2022, we got, I think, 21st out of 17 million brackets on the, on the site. We actually... Uh, you know, had Miami, which is a 10 seeded to the Elite Eight, and we had all four Final Four teams that included, I think, Duke and Carol- North Carolina, and North Carolina was an eight seed, I think. Um, so, you know, I think that the models can look at certain factors that are like, I talk about like interconference or, you know, conference strengths. I think the models said, hey, the, the Atlantic Coast Conference was a little bit stronger than people thought, and so it pushed them a little bit further, and it, it paid off in terms of accuracy. And so, you know, I think we talk about how you can never be perfect. These algorithms 
do the best they can, and especially when it's like non-deterministic. In this case, like you can't predict all the winners all the time. Uh, un- unusual things happen. Balls bounce a-, a weird way. Calls go a certain way, and so we try to shift the odds in your favor, right? And this is basically the same thing that we do in business applications. We actually can give you lifetime value. We can say, you know, Kevin's more likely to buy the sedan. KJ is more likely to buy the SUV. You know, using that same example from before. And maybe well, neither of you will buy, but at least we put you, put the, cus- the salesperson in a better position to, to make purchase. And so, yeah, right. the March Madness thing was kind of fun because people are like, <laughs> how'd you pick Miami to, you know, to, to the uh, Elite Eight as a 10 seed? And it's like, well, you know, a model thinks that, you know, feels, feels strongly about that, that conference and, and that team. And so, and it removes biases too. That's one other thing I, I, I try to explain to people is that all of us have our rooting interests. I do too. But when you build a model, you remove that, right? The model doesn't know conferences or locations it doesn't Model care knows, doesn't care right team a is better than team b i don't care if team a happens to be a name brand uh, a blue chip or a, what do you call it, a major well-known, well-known school or, or nobody right like duke carolina kansas or kentucky those are blue chip schools and the machines like i don't care if they've won 45 years ago i mean I've, you hear sometimes your reporters say oh they've won so many times in the past 40 years and i'm wondering like what does it matter like how a team did in the 70s or 80s you know, right. the, the, the gentlemen playing basketball in college now weren't around, weren't alive back then. So that shouldn't really right. be a factor. Right? And so as right. human, you know, we actually say, oh, we want to pick this team longer because I think that they, they always go farther in a tournament. But that's not a good idea because what they did in the 80s and 70s has no impact on what they do today. No, I, I uh, definitely should use that for this year um, because my bracket is toast. So, but I do want to ask you, so yeah. what's what's next for the future of AI? Uh, I think the evolution of AI has been really swift recently. I think, um, you know, in the second half of the 20th century, rules-based AI, AI was a big thing, right? Rules meaning like even like chess, ma- chess master type algorithms, right? You know, how, how do you beat, beat human players in chess? And that, that's rules-based because chess is a very specific game you know 64 pieces uh, spots on the board 16 pieces limited moves it's still complicated but it was very much just fixed on rules and then later became um machine learning based which is like you know statistical models and non-deterministic results just like the basketball example you just asked me about where we're looking at best chance of success but doesn't guarantee 100 percent accuracy and so then you fast forward to about 2017 when these transformer models came along and this there's this convergence to technology, right? Availability of large amounts of text training data, which is a public web. Mm-hmm. Um, processing of self-supervised learning, which is just having machines learn distributions themselves by masking words and trying to predict what's been deleted. And then you, you couple all that with the availability of computational power in these graphics processors units, GPUs. And that's what has made large language models um, given the chance for them to thrive. You know, GPUs and the ability to do parallel processing were idea originally for rendering graphics quickly, and then it became useful for mining cryptocurrency, and, and now it's applied very well to building transformer-based models. And so, question, what's next? I think what's next is, um, you know, we're starting to see language models evolve to multimodal inputs and outputs. So natural language to image lets you create images based on words, and now you can even do videos. Uh, we're starting to, to build natural language to task completion, where you talk to a computer like a personal assistant in more complicated tasks, like, Please arrange a trip for me from my office to Dallas, Texas for April 15th, returning April 17th. And a machine can take that along with your learned preferences. Maybe you like aisle seats, you like to sit in front of a plane, the time of flight, the hotel type, food preference. And then a full itinerary can be proposed. And so then, you know, 
you can also iterate again as I talk about this iteration. Like, I actually not, normally like pasta, but since I'm in Dallas, maybe I want to try some barbecue. And so then with all of this, these innovations, I think will further simplify our lives, make task completion easier. You know, if you think about this example, when I was in college, I was trying to arrange details for a job interview to travel, and it was really arduous. I mean, it's like you got to make a lot of phone calls. There's no you know, internet. And, and now with all this information, you can look up flights on the internet. You can, you can look up hotels. You can look up restaurants, make reservations online. But you still have to do it man that part manually, even though that's a lot easier than before. But now you can actually, hey, let's let a machine give you the first cut. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a reservation right. at this this restaurant this hotel this, these 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 flights and then is this okay with you and so a business traveler who makes 25 trips a year can save so much time by having machine learn their, their patterns and so I think the human assistant is kind of the next step of this right now we have a generative general assistant but then can we get it at the company level and in the future can we get to that personal level. No, I really like it. And I would love to, you know, bring Cortana back, right? Using that saying, yes. Cortana, that's create my itinerary right. to go wherever, right? And then Absolutely. just being able to say, hey, here's prompt one, two, three, and four, and so forth. Yes. And being able to just get an output and then just pay for it, right? I think Definitely. that's that's a pretty awesome use case. And I'm glad we're using AI in the right way. So, um, yes. Absolutely. Now, with that assistant, would we have to say please and thank you? Because that's what I do. <laughs> if I'm on ChatGPT, for some reason, it's just, I'm going to say please and thank you for some weird reason. I think good, good manners are always good, right? I think maybe <laughs> my, my understanding is the machine, you know, it learns what's on the web. It's almost like you're talking on a chat board. And so the more polite you are to the, the machine, the more polite they'll be back to you, perhaps. So, so yeah, it, it never hurts to be polite. I think that's what we learned from our parents, right? Always be, always be polite. So I think that even with machines. That's right. <laughs> Fantastic conversation, Walter. We went through the ins and outs of large language models, and then we took it into the context of applying it to business applications. And we learned how it can't really give financial advice, but you could use it to predict a more <laughs> accurate March Madness bracket. <laughs> That's right. Walter, thank you so much for, for educating us. I know KJ and I could keep you on for hours to talk about AI, but thank you for being so generous with your time and joining us on the show. No, thank you. I appreciate your time, Kevin and KJ. It's really, really good talking to both of you today. Thank you for tuning in to Digestible Dynamics Podcast, a show for you, the innovators, with content directly from the experts. While we only cover one tidbit of Dynamics 365 per episode, if you want to learn more, head over to our LinkedIn page by searching for Digestible Dynamics on LinkedIn so that we can guide you to the right resource to help you maximize your Dynamics 365 experience. If you have any other questions, email your host, KJ and KG at digestibledynamics at microsoft.com. Until next time, folks. Bye.